Hi, everybody. Uh, we are going to get rolling. Uh, welcome. This is Megan. Hi. I'm Dave. Uh, we're married. We have yes. four children, and we are doing a breakout together, which is, of course, a fun privilege, especially since the topic has to do with one that I'm sure something has crossed your mind. The title of this breakout is Godly Romance <laughs> in a Smartphone World. Um, one of our favorite things to do uh, is to take our children. We go uh, to the beach with them. That's their, one of their favorite vacation spots. Uh, one of the more recent times that we did that, we uh, did the classic parent thing where we sat in our beach chairs and we looked out and our children were together all playing in the surf. You know what I'm talking about. We were having one of those parental conversations of, I wonder if they realize, though, that as they're having fun and enjoying the waves, you know what happens? They kind of start to slide a little bit downstream, <laughs> one step or two. And then, you know, we're, we're watching them and we're kind of doing a family semi-social experiment. And we're seeing them being affected. They're enjoying the waves, but also being affected by the waves. And little by little, there's like one step and another step and another step. And, of course, we didn't intervene. We watched them as they sort of eventually pick their heads up and realize that they're not in line with their parents anymore. They were several yards downstream when they looked up, and I don't know which child said, how on earth did we get here? <laughs> and, you know, we, they weren't that far. We were able to wave, and they walked back on the shore and came up, right? But that phrase, that question, you know, how on earth did we get, get down here? How did we get downstream? Um, I want you to have that image in mind, it is our distinct privilege to do this breakout for you. And that image is the impetus. It is the heart behind this breakout. Do you get what I'm saying? Here's what I mean. Um, Megan and I, we do a lot of premarital counseling. We talk with a lot of young couples. And, and very, very similarly, there's a, there's a similar phenomenon as we watch young people. I know you're not our kids, right? But as we watch people enjoy the blessing of things like smartphones and social media platforms, we used to start by saying, does anybody here have a smartphone? But you all do. Mm-hmm. As we see people enjoying the legitimate blessings of technology, etc., cetera, uh, just like as much as we love the beach, Megan and I, we have seen several couples that are very, very unaware of the current that, under, that accompanies social media and smartphone use, a lot of the blessings of our sort of high-powered tech society. Does that make sense? And we have heard many young couples over the years say, how did we get here, right? We've seen many beloved people who we love as our children say, what happened in this relationship as it pertains to romance? Um, I think we see, there's a sort of a heartbreak that we have, that we see a lot of couples who intend to have a godly relationship At least that's their desire on paper. We want to have a Christian romance. Um, Perhaps that would lead to a Christ-centered marriage. But but they're affected by this drift. There's a a current in our culture. Many of them end up in things like sexual sin and various other dishonoring patterns. And here's the thesis of the breakout. The thesis is that several patterns of our virtual world have probably crept in and are having a real effect on the way you approach romantic relationships in the real world, and most people have never considered the drift. You catch the image? Most people have never considered that drift. So as believers, our hope and prayer is that we think that our 
that the lordship of Jesus extends to all things, including the way we conduct ourselves in the way we seek and pursue romance and a spouse. And that should look different from the world. In reality, maybe in, even in Christian settings, sometimes it doesn't. So whether you're in a relationship or not, we're happy you're here. Let me pray, and then we'll begin with the passage that's at the top of your sheet. Hopefully you've found it in your, in your handouts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the chance to be together and to speak and to consider this thing that is certainly on the forefront of our minds, but perhaps hardly ever talked about in a way that comes under your lordship and seeks to honor you. We pray that everyone, that you would meet us according to our needs, that you would build up and bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's our intention. It's right at the top. There's a printout there of Proverbs chapter 1. This should be at the, at, at the top of your sheet. It says this. It says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. Uh, in the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. That's another image for you to consider. It is the concept of in a noisy world, Wisdom is calling out to people who would have her. And in a similar way, here's our, how this breakout is going to go. Um, we have sort of the noise of a hyper-connected culture. Come on in, guys, no problem. Maybe just walk yep, go wherever you can do it. We have the noise of a hyper-connected culture. And, well, there are three currents that we want to talk about, and we want to talk about a biblical corrective. Everybody get it? So everybody have a handout. It's right there where it talks about godly romance. There are three fill-ins for you that each correspond to a, a way that we think that people are being affected in the real world by a current of, of social media. Here are the three currents, right? Social media affects us by being that because we live in a world that is, number one, connected. Number two, it is instant. And number three, it is expressive. Social media encourages us to be connected. It encourages us to be instant. It encourages us to be expressive. We're going to take each of those in turn. And here's the first point, if you want to fill it in. It says this, because we are connected, there's a current in the ocean you need to see. It is this, is that it is dangerous to let intimacy lead. It is dangerous to let intimacy lead. So when I was a freshman, uh, in college, heading off to college, I said goodbye to my high school friends like this. See you at Thanksgiving. And literally, I did not see them until Thanksgiving, not virtually and not in person. There were, there were no texts. You had to pay per text. It was crazy. Uh, there were no texts. There were no pictures. Like The only photos I had of my friends were the ones I printed out at the local Walmart and hung up on my, on my dorm room. And a lot has changed in the last 20 years. Uh, virtually, you guys, with your smartphone, you are seeing people all day, sometimes all night. You have the ability to keep in touch with anyone you want to, regardless of geography, regardless if you have ever met them in real life. I mean, take a minute just to reflect on the last 48 hours of your life. How many people in the last 48 hours have you been, have you had direct connection with? You know, you've sent a text or um, a message? Um, how many people have you had indirect contact with? How many people have you been connected to by viewing their posts, looking through their photos, watching, watching their TikToks? I, I would guess probably for the average social media user, it's probably at least 100, possibly several hundred. 
And you can functionally know people without ever speaking to them in real life. You can bond with others. You can laugh with others. You can see exactly what people are doing at 2.47 in the afternoon. You can learn how to make a burrito from a stranger. You can be connected with people without actually having much of a a relationship with them outside of that. And, And when we know others deeply, when we're known by others, we call this intimacy. And intimacy, connectedness, it can be such a blessing. It is a gift from God. And yet, there's a subtle danger, like Dave shared, lurking in the background. And it's this. We can slowly start to take the blessings of intimacy and connectedness, and we can make them our leader. And intimacy can start to be what drives our relationships. Perhaps you've had the experience of of feeling seen or affirmed or noticed whenever others comment on your videos or send you private messages or or watch your Instagram stories. And, And technology, it makes it easy for us to feed those cravings, to feed that desire for intimacy. Now consider what's the impact that this has on romance. Well, many romantic relationships begin far earlier than your first date. Intimacy has been blossoming through these connections, through these hundreds of texts or photos that were sent before the first date ever happened. And intimacy can be what begins a relationship, and then intimacy, that connectedness, can be what keeps people in relationships. We feel emotionally connected, or you feel physically connected, and you can start or stay in a relationship because of connectedness rather than wisdom. And there's a danger to that. It can really keep you from seeing yourself, from seeing your significant other, from seeing the health of your relationship clearly because you've you've stopped evaluating it based on wisdom and you're evaluating it based on loyalty and connection. So how do you know? Perhaps you're in a relationship now. Perhaps you're interested in someone. Perhaps you're just thinking of dating hypothetically. But how do you know if intimacy has become the leader of your relationship? Uh, Romantic or otherwise, even in your friendships. Here's a few possibilities, things that we've seen over the years. You have a regular online relationship with someone that you rarely speak to in person. Maybe another one, the relationship, it goes very deeply, very quickly, and there's constant communication and expectation of communication. Uh, Another another, um, snapshot of this, maybe you've crossed physical boundaries that you've set for yourself and for the relationship. Maybe you're often evaluating, how loved do I feel by this person? Do I feel close to them? Do they feel close to me? Do we we feel the same way? You're you're constantly evaluating that. Or perhaps you're in the relationship that you're in now out of loyalty. You're not sure if it's best. Maybe others have actually told you this is not best or "This, this is unhealthy. But you feel too entwined or too comfortable to get out. This, this is not an exhaustive list, but perhaps you see yourself in one of these scenarios. And, and if so, it might be that you're allowing intimacy to be the leader in your relationship. Yeah, as a matter of fact, one of the things we see often is we see couples who have often already had so much of a connection online that it's, uh, they, they've often come to then seek counsel or to consider, should we date each other? Should we, should we pursue this thing together? But what's happened is there's so much exclusivity that has already happened. They're not really seeking counsel. They've already functionally made a decision. 
out of intimacy being in the driver's seat. Do you get what I'm saying? That happens very, very often. We've also seen couples come to us to say, hey, could you do pre-engagement counseling or premarital counseling? But what's happening is they're not asking for counsel. What's happening is they're, they're seeking to justify the decision that they've already made because they've already slept together or they've already had so much intimate connectivity. Right? There are couples who say things like, I think we should get married, I guess, because our physical relationship is so out of hand. Uh, that's a, that is a, a, a signal, I think, that intimacy is leading. Right? Wisdom isn't leading. This isn't about Christ or honoring God. It's about the goal of being together and intimacy. It's a, it's a connected, maybe it's an idolatry of the connected. What is the corrective to this? There's a, there are two scripture passages on your sheet which we have to talk about. And, and we need to think about these, brothers and sisters, in a distinctly Christian way because God has called us as disciples of Jesus to follow him. First Thessalonians 4, this is on the projector. It's also in your handout. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Please underline the phrase, this is the will of God. I find that interesting because many young couples who seek out a romantic dating relationship, you know, if they're Christians, they're trying to discern the will of God. But here it is right there on the authority of the Bible, you controlling yourself and not sinning sexually, having holiness and honor in your life is the will of God. Do you know that? That is the revealed will of God. That is a clarity with which the New Testament and the Old Testament speaks that Christian people, we conduct ourselves with a certain distinct dignity with the way we use our bodies. And again, those words, holiness and honor. Our goal and our desire is to grow in holiness more than to avoid awkwardness. Our goal is to be honorable more than it is to be close. And it is not honorable to act like if you are married if you are not. It is not honorable to say we're married in our hearts, so we might as well. As a matter of fact, we would encourage you that the Bible says don't have an intimate connection with somebody who is not your spouse, and intimacy is not the goal of a Christian relationship. We live in a culture, perhaps, where it is the goal, but this is something that is distinctly Christian, and it is God's will for you. Very similarly, Matthew chapter 6, that's there. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Jesus is saying a number of things there, but this is the words of our Savior. One of the things he's saying is what you, what you behold with your eyes is inevitably what will grip your heart. Do you hear what he's saying? So, it, it, you know, like when our, our children, do you know Amazon mails shopping catalogs to kids? It's very interesting. It's terrible. Our children got one, <laughs> and they spent the entire day with like a highlighter going through an Amazon catalog of all the awesome things they could get. I don't know how many Christmas lists they wrote that day, like five each, and we have four kids. That's a lot of lists, all the things that they want. That's all we talked about. Can we buy this? Why is that? Well, because they inevitably, what we look at will eventually start to grip your heart. Now, parallel that to the fact that you are all, we are all in our generation looking at images more than any other generation before us. Do you know that? You're not looking at shopping catalogs. You're seeing pictures of other humans. 
in often appropriate ways, but please understand that if you Snapchat someone enough, you will want to date them. If you just behold someone enough, you will form a special bond with them. So very practically, we encourage you, don't use social media to form a super special bond. As a matter of fact, we would encourage you to have times when you engage with social media and enjoy the blessings of it. And perhaps other times when you deliberately disengage from it and saying, I need to have a moment where I'm not bombarded by images because that's a current that can sweep you downstream. It is dangerous to let intimacy be in the driver's seat. That's the first one. Okay. Our second point, um, our, our culture is instant. And because it's instant, it's foolish not to consider timing. That's your second, second fill-in. Perhaps you've had the experience of ordering something online, one or two-day shipping, and you feel frustrated when you receive the text saying your package is running late. Or maybe you felt annoyed when you've texted a friend with a question and they didn't get back to you for several hours. So our culture is immediate, and we've come to expect this immediacy, immediacy in purchases, in information, and in relationships. In general, we don't have to wait very long for the things that we want. So our culture says faster is better, as fast as possible. Now, combine that with the reality of your smartphone and what Dave was just saying of constantly being barred by images, you're constantly watching people's relationships unfold in real time. You're being bombarded by images of other people's relationships. So not only do we have faster is better, but we have, on the other hand, other people have what I want. And friends, this is a breeding ground for discontentment. It's a breeding ground for discontentment. And the Bible has a lot to say about discontentment. It, le- it lives in the heart of every one of us. And it has ever since Eve looked at the tree and said, that's what I want. I don't have it, and I want it. And that discontentment, our culture of immediacy, amplifies it. It amplifies it. You consider your own life. Where are there ways in your own life where you've experienced impatience or jealousy or impulsive relational decisions or perhaps just a mistrust of God's timing? And and how has that affected your view of romance and dating? Because God doesn't operate on the same faster is better mentality of our culture. God uses seasons of waiting, and he uses them to train our hearts, to deepen our faith, and to to develop godly character. So because of that reality, the Bible says that timing matters. Timing matters. Look down on your... um, your page to the next verse from Song of Solomon. It's right there on your sheet. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir or awaken love until it so pleases. This is a warning. Don't awaken love until the right time. Now, the book of Song of Songs, it is a book that celebrates good and godly love. It, It encourages the right expression of love with the right person at the right time in the right way. And this warning, you can see it, is listed three times in that book. Some scholars outline the entire book around those verses. So in a book that celebrates love, why does the author encourage not awakening love until the right time? There is a powerful and intoxicating and consuming reality of love. And some of you may be guilty 
of not realizing its power. I remember being a high schooler and saying things like, what's the harm? Hey, if it doesn't work out, I'll just get out of it. I'll just get out. I had no idea how awakening the power of or love would affect me, how my values would shift, how I'd rationalize my behavior and my decisions. Listen to how that same author of Song of Solomon just a few verses later describes this power of love. He writes, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire. Many waters cannot quench love, and neither can floods drown it. Playing with love is a lot like playing with fire. Though fire properly used, it's a powerful blessing. Improperly used, it is consuming, unquenchable, and dangerous. And playing with love, it affects you in ways that you don't even realize until you're in over your head. C.S. Lewis, he, he writes about this in his book, The Four Loves. So listen to how he speaks about eros, that's the sexual kind of love. It is in the grandeur of eros that the seeds of danger are concealed. He, eros, has spoken like a god, his total commitment his reckless disregard of happiness, his transcendence of self-regard, he may urge to evil as well as to good. C.S. Lewis is saying that love, it demands our loyalty. And at times, it provokes us to ignore our conscience and turn toward evil. And Dave and I, we see this often. We, we see boundaries set and then crossed and then justified. We see couples who think, who think no, no one understands us. No one under, understands our love. And they're blind to the wise counsel of others. We see this in the, reform, or in the form of regret and shame after broken hearts and mistakes. And we see women especially settle under the, in the name of love. So wheedled at the right time, God's time, sexual love, it's, it's powerful and it's beautiful and it's a delightful gift. Wielded at the wrong time, awoken before the right time, it is like playing with fire. Yeah, we see this often. Here is one of the ways that we think Amazon Prime, Instant, whatever, Instacart, Instagram is affecting people. We're represented in this diagram right here. Now, this is not a very complicated diagram, but this is more of an observation that we've made over the years. Uh, I want you to think of this little hokey picture here like a funnel. And I want you to think about what's happening in that, um, well, the, it's, on the leftmost part of this diagram is the word love, and it's also the broadest part of the diagram because from a Christian perspective, if I were to say to you, well, listen, we are called to love, you would say, how many people? Well, everyone, right? Christianly, from a Christian perspective, mm-hmm. we, we love, we're called to love everyone. And, and as you see, the, the diagram tapers very, very deliberately because if I were to describe maybe some of the relationships that you have. I do think there are fewer people, at least on planet Earth, that even though you're called to love everybody, there are fewer people that you do enjoy. Is that true? (laughs) You're called to love everyone, but let's be honest, there are some people you enjoy more than other people. To be straightforward, I think that makes sense so far. Well, the, the diagram tapers even more. Now, in a romantic sense now, there are fewer people still that you would say, I, I have some sort of attraction to this person. I am speaking in a romantic way at this point. 
so far following the diagram? Everybody, I'm getting nods. That's good. It continues to taper because I suppose another step beyond being attracted to someone is being interested in them, like having a consideration of this person. And, and, and again, I'm tapering this. I suppose you could have more than one person that sparks your interest. And yet, if we were to narrow this to, to one person that you would decide to be actively pursuing. Does everybody get this? It's not rocket science. I'm just trying to taper the people who are in your life, at least that way you think romantically. One of the things that I think the instantaneous culture is doing over the years, as I particularly counsel young men and sometimes young women too, is I think that if people, you live, we live in a time where if you think if you enjoy someone or perhaps you are at all attracted to them, these distinctions get all blurred together into one thing. So most of the time, a young man says, I'm attracted to that young woman. They immediately think, so therefore, tomorrow I must call them. <laughs> uh, in other words, it seems more like a slide. There's not a deliberateness in which this progression is made. I, I think it has to do with us saying, well, you know, we, we need to be true to how we feel and to act immediately. But, but the Bible actually would say that that's foolishness. If you have an attraction to someone, that doesn't necessarily mean you should be interested in them. If you're interested in someone, that doesn't mean you need to pick up the phone tomorrow and, and, and go hang out with them or Snapchat them. Why, why is that? Well, because every farmer knows the season if you want to cultivate something, right? Do you know every farmer knows that you, can, you have to do certain things at a certain time of year because timing really matters? Generally, farmers are not out tilling up the ground in the winter. You could do it. It's just awkward. It's painful. I suppose it'll work. You could plant seeds in the winter. Maybe something would happen. You're free to do it, but it's really, really rough. No, every farmer goes, wait a minute. This is wisdom. Discern the season. We till up the ground in the spring, and we plant then so that we can have a summer of growth and a harvest in the fall. You know the season if you want to operate with wisdom. And very, very similarly, we would say, know the season if you're trying to cultivate godly romance. You can do it in different seasons, but man, sometimes it's just awkward and bumpy. So what season are you in right now? You're in the season of, most of you, being in full-time student, uh, being a full-time student. You're in enrolled in a four-year institution. That means you're in a season of learning, a season of rapid change, a season, well, let's be honest, where you're kind of broke. Everyone amens that. They always amen that. That's true. You're adults, but you don't have the full adult lifestyle to support the fact that you're adults. And all of these things go into the wisdom of discerning. Is this the right time? The old adage is if it's the right person at the wrong time, still the wrong person often. Yeah. Look at uh, Genesis 2 that's printed right there. This is the other passage on your sheet. It says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Do you know that passage is quoted cover to cover in the scriptures, right? This is God's design of marriage. And notice those verbs, leave and hold fast. So just maybe to workshop this a bit and to help you with timing questions, uh, one timing question that you might want to ask yourself, if you're ready to pull the trigger on a serious relationship, can you leave your father and mother? Is that, is, that a, is that within the realm of possibility for you? Is that on the horizon? Can you hold fast to a spouse, and are you in any sort of position to do that? Maybe not tomorrow, but is that at least on the horizon? That's a part of how you discern and you look around at the seasons, right? 
And I would not want to undersell to you the wisdom of waiting and watching as the values of the wisdom of the Bible. Do you know that waiting and watching is one of the best things you can do if you're interested in a Christ-centered marriage? I wish someone had told me that when I was a young man. Because you can wait and watch and discern your season of life, right? You can wait and watch and discern the readiness of the other person. Just because you live in a hookup culture and maybe you feel left out, it doesn't mean you have to hit the gas as soon as possible and to find the perfect someone right away. Actually, the Bible values waiting, watching, and discerning prayerfully. We see many couples often, because they want to get married, most of the time, people are scared that they won't find their spouse in college. Because for whatever reason, the narrative says, you will find your spouse in college. And yet, so they start (laughs) intensely dating, like their freshman year or in their high school years. And marriage is like years away. It's not even on the horizon. And they're a little bit like a child, like our kids, who pack their suitcase months before vacation comes. They realize, oh my, I just have to unpack everything again. I'm going to need my toothbrush tonight. Why did I pack that? Vacation's five months away. So friends, listen, consider, consider the readiness of the person maybe that you're attracted to or that you're interested in. God values self-control, patience, and wisdom over impulse. God is not rushed or hurried, and God's work in people takes time. So our, our encouragement to you would be perhaps to think about these categories and don't slide down these categories as if you have no control over your life, but to make thoughtful transitions through these things and to make deliberate movements from one to the other to the other in the timing and the prayerful consideration of wisdom. Make thoughtful transitions and flee sexual temptation. That's point number two. The final section on your outline, our culture is expressive. And because it's expressive, it is naive to not know the point of marriage. It's naive not to know the point of marriage. So Dave said that we have four kids, uh, they're 12 and under, and they have incredible imaginations. So everyday items start to get used for very unique purposes. So laundry baskets become cars, and baby dolls are basketball balls, and everything is a sword, everything. And most of the time, it's really cute, and it's harmless, but sometimes it becomes dangerous, and sometimes it's really reckless, and we find ourselves saying, if you want to play with that, you need to use it for the purpose that it was made. And it's easy, especially in our expressive world, to treat romance and dating and intimacy and sex like a toy. You play with it however you want without understanding the purpose for which it was made. But effective and enjoyable and God-honoring dating relationships begin with a proper understanding of marriage. And that understanding is not going to come from the world around you. So social media broadcasts the image of marriage, but not the substance of marriage. And larger Western culture encourages self-affirming love, where your desires and your expressions are always celebrated. And even perhaps well-meaning family or friends, they will tell you that a good marriage, it's all about being compatible and having companionship and good communication. But all of these things, even though they may be well-meaning, all of them make marriage about self-fulfillment. How does this impact dating? You, you perhaps all have you know, that list, either in your head or 
like literally on a piece of paper and a journal tucked under your mattress. And this is the list of things that you want. That's the list of things, of criteria by which you plan to evaluate any potential uh, spouse or, or potential boyfriend or girlfriend. What makes the list? What makes the list? How do you know? Are they the things that make for a biblical marriage? And in our experience, uh, my experience personally, and our experience uh, just counseling people over the years, we've, let, uh, we've seen how not understanding marriage leads to confusion over what's actually important. And it also leads to a really misguided picture of what your significant other is actually like. Yeah, as a, you know, our culture says you need to be true to yourself, Right. Our social media particularly encourages this. There are platforms where you express yourself, and the point is that other people should affirm how you have expressed yourself. And because of that, I think many people love this concept of marriage. They don't really know what it's about. You hear things like, as it relates to love, that love is love, etc., and expressing yourself is seen almost as a highest good. It's a little strange. Love itself is appealed to as a form of authority right now. Right now. And, and people pursue this thing like marriage, even Christians, but they're ignorant about God's prescription for marriage. Ephesians 5, we got to talk about it. It's on your sheet. It says this, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, please look at this. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and see that the wife respects her husband. Wait a sec. So Paul has outlined for us a profound mystery. Ephesians 5 is almost confusing if you read it because he's talking about Husbands and wives. He's talking about marriage. He's talking about God's plan. Then he goes in and out. He says, just so you know, I'm actually talking about Jesus. So the remarkable thing is Paul continues to hammer home in all of this marriage stuff. (coughs) Marriage is about Jesus. If no one's ever told you that, it's time for a recalibration of that. Marriage is not primarily about your self-fulfillment or your self-expression. Marriage is a parable. It is a proclamation to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord and that, you know what Jesus is doing? He is saving people. He is leading people. And he is getting a people ready for him. And this is why marriage, the Bible maintains, unapologetically is between a man and a woman, between one man and one woman. And and husbands in this relationship are supposed to deliberately take their cues from Jesus. And wives are deliberately to take their cues from the church. And and have you ever considered then, if that is true, what is important and what is essential to marriage and what is a preference that you have for your significant other? Many people elevate silly things in their preference. She's got to love sports to the level of essential. And brothers and sisters, it is foolish. What percentage of a Christian marriage is spent talking about or playing sports? Maybe some of it. What a joy and blessing that might be. But, a, but the, the essential, perhaps that could be a preference, but the essential components of marriage is that it is essential that that person love and submit their life to God because the whole point of it is this lived out parable that Jesus Christ saves and loves his church. 
So if you have never been married, maybe most of you have never, perhaps you should ask Christian married people what you should look for in a potential spouse. That person, perhaps, that has caught your attention, we know that certainly that has to happen. However, maybe you should ask, not, are we compatible by the world's standards? Do they love sports or video games or board games or what have you? But perhaps, do they have gospel characteristics? Do they have godly conviction? Do they have any desire to see the kingdom of God extend around the world Because as we understand the Bible, guess what? That's what marriage is about. That's what marriage is about. Let's close with this. Let's read this last passage together. I'm going to read it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Wait a minute. He who what? Refrains from... Uh, So Paul is not crazy. Did you read that in the Bible? Marriage cannot be the point of life. Mm -hmm. Marriage is a good gift from God. I love being married to Megan. And, And you know what? But however, the Bible says very clearly that marriage will not be the thing that will fulfill you. If you believe that you'll become a whole person when you get married, you are wrong. And you know why? Because Paul says it's legit to get married. And right there, you just read it in the Bible. Paul says, you know, it's totally legit to not get married. You know, it's totally actually praiseworthy and legitimate to not want perhaps to get married, but to decide to say, I'm going to be single so I can serve God and I could have more time to do that. Marriage, how can Paul say, think about this, it's cool to not get married. Well, that must mean that marriage is not the end-all, be-all. The only way he can say that is because there's something greater than marriage that you can have even as a single person because marriage is about the mission of the church. Marriage is about what God is doing. Marriage is supposed to display for you that God gave up his life for you and that Jesus came to seek you. So if you are single, if you stay single the rest of your life, if you are married Wonderful. But please understand the bigger drama that is going on in the world. Getting married is not the most exciting thing in the world. Every time you say no to sin, you know what you're doing? You're actually preparing yourself for your real wedding day. Because Jesus is preparing his bride. Every time you decide to live as a child of God, every time you say, I I want holiness and honor to characterize me, Ephesians 5 says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. And friend, if you are a Christian, when you close your eyes in death in a very real way, you will walk down the aisle to meet your Savior. That's the wedding day we're excited for. This is a preview of what is to come. Amen? All right, we have time for a couple of questions. And I know this can be an awkward topic. So right at the opposite side of page 34, we've tried to make the Q&A easy for you. We have only just a couple of moments. If you would like to linger... And to hang out with us, we'll be here for a little while. And I know dinner is the next thing. So it is now 3, or excuse me, 4.42. So on the other side, there will be some mic runners. If you're going to ask a question, if you're brave enough to ask it, we're a husband and wife, we will be brave enough to answer it. Got it? Sound good? 
Uh, if you'd like to, what you could do is just stick your hand up and say, could you, we have a FAQ, okay? We've made that, that frequently asked questions list to just sort of make Q&A perhaps on page 34, maybe flow a little bit. So if you'd like to ask, you could say point to a number or whatever else is on your mind after that presentation. So we have just a couple moments where we'll wait. And, and you can wait for a microphone if you'd like to ask it in there. What questions do you have? One up the front already and someone's at the back. He's right here. Yeah. Can you just expand on number four? I know we kind of touched on it at the end. Could you just expand on number four? I'm not sure if I need to. So uh, number four, if you're on the recording, or if you, is how do you know if you're called to be single? <laughs> is there such a thing? Yeah, that's sort of a funny trick question, isn't it? Um, well, that's a great question. Uh, so uh, I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what most people mean by that is, has God told me that thus saith the Lord, you will not get married? Uh, I, I don't, that's not what I'm trying to get at with this question. I don't believe that that is the case. Called to be single. Are, are you single right now? Or are you married? Yeah. So guess what? You're called to be single for this season. That's what I mean by that. And there are some people who they don't have the opportunity to get married or they don't get married or they don't prefer to get married. And because of that, God's calling on their life is, is to be single. I don't mean a sensational, I don't mean calling in the sensational way there. I mean in the circumstantial way or the way that, or, or the lack of desire way. So I think marriage is a good gift from God. If you desire it, you can pursue it onto the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whoever else has a microphone, just go for it. I have a question that's not on the FAQ. Whoa, you are a brave man. <laughs> I know. All right, so if you're a freshman and there is another guy or girl who you are attracted to who is a Christian, what are the pros and cons, being very young in college, of pursuing a dating relationship then versus waiting until later in college? Pros and cons. You're a freshman. You're attracted to someone in college. What are the pros and cons of saying, let's date right now versus let's wait? I can think of a bunch of cons because that was me my freshman year in college. (laughs) Um, I think one of the cons is that if you're a senior, think back to your freshman year and how much you have changed in only three years. And I think that's the reality of people in college. You are changing rapidly. People are changing rapidly. The person that you begin a relationship with the second year, your freshman year, even though it might be a good thing then, in three years... Uh, the, the danger is that you are so emotionally, intimately connected that even, even if you've changed a lot, it's, it's hard to discern sometimes whether this is, a, this is the right person. So sometimes we, we call it a, uh, uh, if you like bananas, you know, most of you probably don't eat green bananas. So you don't think, oh, well, you know, it'll be ripe one day, so I'll just eat it now. No, you, you would wait because you know it's going to change. And it's better when it changes. Uh, so for me, I, I think my experiences, I, I think I kind of gorged myself on green bananas, not realizing they were going to change. And when they changed, I might not actually want that later. It's a great question. And to be clear, if you are dating someone your, your freshman year in, in college, there, the, the Bible does not forbid that. No. That is fully permissible as a Christian. You need to hear us say that. Oh, yeah. Um, in almost 20 years of campus ministry, I have only seen that happen once where it ended in a marriage. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm not just trying to give you statistics, but, and it was a hard path. So I think you're free to do that. The other burden, the other pressure that comes with that is you're both figuring out what am I going to do with my life? Mm-hmm. 
I want to go overseas to serve God in Africa. I want to stay here. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a lawyer. I don't even want to live in... And a lot of those things will put pressure on it, not to mention the pressure of a physical relationship. I suppose a pro would be that it, it emotionally it sort of settles you. It sort of feels like you've made up your mind and you've had the decision. Next question. How would you define intimacy? Def, the definition of intimacy? I, yeah, like what, what would you say intimacy is? Like what, you know? Yeah, that's a great question. Maybe for the sake of time, I, could say, I would say a, a, a degree of exclusivity <laughs> and closeness. So that could happen physically or emotionally. Next, yeah. I'd like the harder questions to be answered, two and three. Both of them? Both two and three, if you can. So number two says, what are some signs or red flags that I should consider ending a relationship? Three says, what do I do if I've already crossed the line physically, sexually? Which one do you want? I don't know. <laughs> I'll take two. <laughs> <laughs> um, I... I one of them that I can, so I, we talked about how love can blind you to wisdom. I think one red flag is if the people, God has given us wise people in our lives and the people that you respect and love Jesus and love you, if they say that your relationship is unhealthy, um, that's a red flag. Even if you don't see it as a red flag, that is a red flag. So I think wise counselors in your life and them seeing your relationship very differently than you do um, yeah, I think I think that's a big that's a big danger. And usually, number three is one of the red flags of number two, which is that yeah. what do you do if you've already crossed the line physically, sexually? Um, yeah, I, I want to answer this very very delicately. In that, the, the immediate answer to that question is that you need to repent, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not a shove your face in your sin kind of repent. Mm-hmm. The Christian life is a race of repentance, mm-hmm. and the Lord Jesus loves to receive sinners and to wash them, to make them whole to restore them, to forgive them, and to sing and to delight over them. So if this is you, this is a double, this is a both hand, both and. Here's the two ends of the both and. One, God forgives sinners by the finished work of Jesus. If you have, have, have crossed the line, if you have regret, if you have a f- sexual relationship that you're ashamed of, you need to know that's why Jesus died. You are not your own. You were bought with a price by the precious blood of Jesus. And you're forgiven and you're washed, you're ransomed, you're healed, and on and on we could go. There's probably a great degree of consequence to that, that, that you can't break God's law without a degree of reaping destruction. Um, if you're in a dating relationship and you've already crossed the line, I think that should be a consideration to you of whether or not this relationship brings honor to the name of Jesus. Because you haven't. So I would, I would give con- serious consideration if the point of a relationship is not intimacy, the point of a relationship is the honor of Jesus and perhaps the, the clarity of deciding if you want to get married one day, that would be a sign to say you should consider ending that relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you have to end that relationship. You should go to a wise, trusted mentor and ask. And if you're unwilling to end the relationship, that's also a red flag that the relationship is mm-hmm. super idolatrous. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I don't have more time to spend I, on that. I, I think for, for women in particular, if you feel like there is um, pressure um, to, to do something that you are not willing or ready to do, um, yeah, if there's pressure to be someone that, that you are not. Or to I, violate I think your conscience. To vi- yes, to violate your conscience. So the call that Dave read in Ephesians 5 is that a husband is called to lay down his life for his wife. Uh, and, and if a girlfriend feels like 
her life is being laid down for the appetite of her boyfriend, yeah. that is a red flag. Yeah. Most of the time, there are women who are pressured sexually. And listen, sisters, if there is a man who is doing that, most of the time, women feel like, I can't get out of this relationship because either the fear of loyalty or I'll never find somebody else. And it is mm-hmm. not worth it to sin. Your relationship with Jesus matters far too much. Mm-hmm. Another question. Go ahead. So if in Corinthians, it kind of seems like singleness gets you closer to God, but you can serve him better, what's the point in getting married? Oh, you're turning it on your head. What's the point of getting married in general? (laughs) So there's something interesting happening there because if you think about it, in Genesis, God says, be fruitful and multiply. Mm -hmm. So, well, that's the point of getting married, right? Offspring. The the desire to get married is legitimate. So the simple desire for it, God says marriage is a gift that is meant as an outlet, as actually one of God's provisions for loneliness and for sexual expression and desire. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the points of marriage. Uh, I've heard someone say, if you want to serve God, you can serve God better single. I've heard that same person say, if you want to know God, you often get to know God better as you get married. And I find that true. In other words, Megan sees me at my absolute worst. Like, I'm a total embarrassment, right? I look all polished up here, right? But there are times where I'm just like a blundering idiot. And Megan sees that, and it's totally vulnerable to be fully known and fully loved. It helps me understand a little bit of God. However, the Bible does say, yeah, if you want to serve God, then not getting married is perfectly legitimate. And personally, I think we need more heroes, young men and young women, who decide marriage isn't for me. And they, can, they have way more time to serve God. I do not have as much time as you all right now in my schedule because I'm married. Yeah. I hope that answered your question. Yeah. Whoever has a microphone. And we are going to run out of time. If you don't get your question asked, could you just come and hang out with us for a little bit? We'll have some time afterwards. Yeah. First of all... Thank you guys for the sauce. This was good. This was really good. Um, second, um, so would you guys think that in your marriage, between, between you two, do you guys think it's, it's wise to wait till you know what you're going to be doing? Like knowing your, maybe your personal mission before God to, to even consider like getting into a relationship and pursuing that? What would be your, say more about that. What are you looking to know before? Yeah, like whether like what 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 is my mission? Uh, what did God called me to do? Uh, maybe like well, in one sense, that mission is decided already for you. The specifics of it are still being worked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there is a there is a degree of wisdom in having some clarity before beginning an intense, purposeful pursuit of a spouse. I'm not saying you're sinning if you don't know. I'm saying, you're, I'm saying you're signing up for a degree of choppy waters if you have absolutely no clue of what your sense of calling in life is, right? Because you'll have to figure it out and bring the other person on the right and they're figuring it out as well. So the Bible does not forbid that. No, no, no. I'm saying that there is a degree of wisdom in having at least somewhere down the line a plan so that the relationship can thrive better. It's just a better season for it to figure out. It's, can a farmer choose to harvest in the winter? And I think, yeah, they could. It's going to be weird, but yeah, sure, they could. Would you be willing to answer number seven? So number seven says, aren't we all unprepared? How can somebody really know if they are, quote, ready to date or to get married? Great question. Oh, thank you, Dave. <laughs> Sorry. Actually, Megan wrote all the questions. <laughs> Did I? 
Um, yeah, so this is a deliberate sort of tongue-in-cheek question. In a sense, yes, we are unprepared in that we're never fully suited up and saying, I'm ready for all that life will throw at me, right? So that, that is true. That's, so I'm not advocating. Some people are very fearful in their personalities. Like, they have to have all the boxes checked before they do anything. And in that case, you should never get married because there's so many unknowns, and the person's going to change, and life is out of control, right? Um, how can someone really know if they are ready to get married? I do think you can know if you're ready to get married. I think it's a both and. That's why the question is written that way. So no, you will not ever know everything to remove uncertainty. And you will enter marriage with a degree of unpreparedness. But I do think there are some things that you can know to wisely enter into a marriage. <clears throat> For instance, if you have certain marriage-ending addictive patterns or habits, you're not ready to get married. If you are addicted to pornography, that is a huge problem that will destroy your marriage. So I can say, I would suggest, if you have a habit of that, uh, I don't think you are ready in that sense. That's a very obvious not ready pattern that is kind of in your face, which will end your marriage very, very quickly. So yes, wisdom says both. And I think that's, what the, I think that's the answer which the Bible would, would give. It would commend to you marriage, but also say you're never prepared and you can be prepared in some very, very obvious known ways, some of which we've outlined in the presentation. You know, one of the verses uh, right after um, Solomon talks about love and the power of love, he says, um, as a conversation between brothers and a, and a little sister, we have a little sister. What should we do for our sister on the day she's spoken for, on the day that she's asked to be, to be married? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. It's poetry. It's confusing. Bottom line, what they're saying is if she has shown herself in some ways to be um, to relationally, sexually, um, that, that she, she's ready by, she, she hasn't let other people in. I don't know what I'm saying. There's, there's a pattern of integrity in her life. Uh, or there's a pattern of integrity in, in his life, that, that's a sign of readiness. So may, maybe a caution is, um, particularly for women, and once again, I feel like it's just my own experience, if you have a history of bouncing from relationship to relationship and there's an idolatry there and a getting in and out again and again, I think that's a sign that you're not ready. Uh, I think there's, if, you, if there's a pattern of saying, I know I'm a failure, I know I'm sinning, I'm not doing this perfectly, but there's a pattern of I want to love the Lord, even if that means saying no to hard things and relational opportunities because they're not what's best. If there's a pattern of integrity there, that can often be a sign of readiness. That's another example. We are out of time. I'm so sorry to cut you off. If you have a question that did not get answered, we're going to hang out up here. Please come and talk to us. We would love to do that. And we, uh, you're dismissed. Thank you for coming. <laughs>